What's up, everyone? I'm Catherine Rutter, and you're listening to Life in the Fast Chain. For this episode, I have Jorge Lesmes from Everest on to talk about what they're doing in the blockchain space and how he first got into it. I had a ton of fun recording, so I hope you guys enjoy our banter. Short and simple intro, let's get right into it. In the studio with Jorge Lesmes from Everest. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you very much for having me here, Catherine. It's a pleasure. Of course, I'm happy we finally got you on. And also, I was just thinking before we started recording, there are certain things that sound better in like different accents, and your name is one of those. <laughs> like I, <laughs> there are there are a few things. I'll tell you a few. One is your name. Everest also sounds better in a Spanish accent. Do you agree? Uh, we are lucky that Everest is one of those words that yeah. can easily be uh, pronounced by. English people, Spanish people, <laughs> Brazilian people. It's kind of a universal word, but obviously in Spanish we would yeah. say Everest. Everest sounds better. Everest. In English you would say like Everest. Yeah. Which sometimes gets mixed up with Everest, the Mount oh. Everest. No, 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 no connection yeah. at all. See, Everest <laughs> is better. But Everest. And, and Jorge, it, it's funny that you say that. Jorge is fine, but your last name is also yes, for yes. me weird to say yeah. in my accent. It's tricky. Tricky, tricky combination of name and surname, yeah. But not really, but I just feel like it doesn't sound as good. And also another thing, so I was in London pretty recently. And I know you live in London now. Yep. Yeah. Okay. That's right. So six years ago. How many years ago? Since around six years ago. Oh, cool. Okay. All right. Um, but so I don't even want to say this, and people in our London office make fun of me. But um, you know the street, and I don't want to say it in my accent, but it's W-A-R-D-O-R. Wardor. Oh, yes. Yeah, so you see it bad. So you say it bad, too. I, it's apparently like, thinking in the English accent, it's Wardor Street. Wardor. Yeah, that sounds beautiful. Uh, I'll, I'll never For have me, a in an American accent, it's Warder. Warder. That sounds terrible. Remember that I say ego, not ego. Oh, that was the best Remember. thing ever. Okay, so for <laughs> listeners, <laughs> so Jorge, we have, we have recorded in, in the past, and we have a testimonial on our success stories page on r3.com. And Jorge killed it. I'm actually in that video. I'm not in the other videos. Um, but when we were recording, he was talking about how he likes uh, working with our three people because they don't have big egos. <laughs> and Catherine <laughs> kept looking like with a strange face at me. It's like, what does he mean? Ego? Ego? <laughs> I was like, like the waffle? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, what? What do you mean about like, waffles? What are you talking about waffles? And it ruined the entire <laughs> recording. <laughs> It actually, you can see in the way that it was edited, like we tried our best, but you can see like there's a disconnect because I totally messed up your question. So it's ego. I, ego. I kind of knew what you were talking about. I just like, I wanted to make a joke, but then I totally threw you off. No, no, it's perfect. I mean, we will always remember that interview now. It's the it's the ego, ego interview. The ego, ego. And now I will never forget it. The waffles. And the waffles are egos. Yes, they are. While you're here, you should have... Actually, they're not that good. They're just like packaged frozen things, but I used to eat them all the time when I was little, so I couldn't stop thinking about it, and I totally ruined the interview. Anyways, blockchain, thank you for coming in. Um, Let's talk a little bit about you. So you work at Everest. What is your title? Your global head of... Of the blockchain banking practice, global head of the blockchain banking practice for cool. Everest, uh, something that Akoli and I started in, in I think it was, it's difficult to pinpoint, but I think it was around 2015. Uh, I'm a computer scientist 
uh, and I've always been reading about uh, new technologies and new, uh, this this kind of new innovation stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think I first read about Bitcoin, obviously, as anyone in this industry now, uh, through Slashdot or Dig. I, I don't think Reddit was a, a mainstream theme just yet in around 2010, 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my first Bitcoin around 2012, 2013, obviously I didn't buy enough. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was around 2015, yeah, 2016, when a colleague and I went to our boss and, 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 and told him this story around how the technology underneath Bitcoin could be leveraged to solve intricate use cases in the banking industry, which, uh, by the way, is my, my background, has always been on delivering projects for banking clients, mm-hmm. even even before the blockchain thing. Kind of, the blockchain thing is kind of uh, new to me. I've always uh, delivered projects for retail, corporate, commercial banks, mostly in the regulatory space, mm-hmm. always with a technology component. Most recently, before blockchain, I delivered open banking, PSD2. Before that, uh, projects uh, relating to uh, Vassal2, Capital Calculation, so anyway, in 2015, 2016, we went to our boss and, and we sat down with him and told him this story of how we thought there could be business there. Mm-hmm. And, and he happily uh, took the conversation farther with uh, some other senior people and then they decided to, to put some money on, on the practice for this colleague who now left Everest and, and myself to start on uh, developing the practice. Mm-hmm. And uh, now we are very happy to say that uh, we are around... Uh, 300 people uh, between Everest and what? Entity. Yeah, really? Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Between Everest and Entity Data, because Everest yeah. is a full subsidiary of Entity Data. Entity Data mm-hmm. is part of this huge Japanese conglomerate called the Entity Group. Uh, mm-hmm. 100 billion dollars in revenue each year, like crazy, crazy figures. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the biggest telco and IT services uh, conglomerates out there. And between both companies, Everest and Entity, yeah, it's around 300 people delivering blockchain projects for end clients. Wow, that's more people than we have here. <laughs> well, you have to think about that. I mean, Entity is uh, 300,000 yeah. people. So uh, 300 people just working on, on blockchain is still a, a very small figure uh, when we compare it yeah. to other more developed practice like like Big Data or SAP or yeah, yeah, yeah. that kind of traditional, uh, more traditional stuff. Yeah. That makes sense. That's cool background. And honestly, 2015, for some people who, and there are some people who are just trying to learn about this stuff on the podcast right now, like, that's pretty early still for this technology stuff. Yeah, this technology stuff. <laughs> no, it, it, it was. It was certainly. And I remember those first initial discussions with with the people that had to approve the budget for us to start developing the practice. Uh, and it was a big bet on them. And I will always yeah. be very thankful for uh, the, 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 the support that we had for them. Because as you say, 2015, 2016, this was still science fiction. Uh, <laughs> everyone was looking at... Uh, at the prices and, and coin market cap and coin desk seeing if the watching if the Bitcoin was up or down yeah. and we very soon realized that uh, there wasn't any value on cryptocurrencies for us as a consulting company providing services for banks to leverage mm-hmm. but the technology underneath uh, we saw that there was potential there yeah um, and, yep yeah as did we and there came Corda. 
Um, so, so can you talk a little bit about like the importance of open source blockchains? And then I'm going to ask you another question about enterprise, but I'll have you focus on open source first. Open source, uh, um, I. I I mean, I don't, I don't really have a preference between open source or private permissioned uh, and closed uh, code. Um, I think it all serves a purpose, and from Avery's point of view, we like to keep our options open, and that's why we do a little bit of open source and a little bit of private permission coded platforms. Mm-hmm. For example, we have always been very active with uh, Ethereum, mm-hmm. with Quorum. Uh, we created Hyperlayer Quilt, which is the Java version of the Interlayer protocol, initially developed by Ripple, and which will still think that has a, a lot of potential for interconnecting mm-hmm. uh, different DLT platforms and traditional value networks. Cool. So we think that uh, having the support of the open source community, it's very important, uh, mainly because uh, sometimes it backs up our reasoning behind selecting one platform or the other. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, uh, I'm using a very powerful slide when I go and meet CTOs and, and people from innovation from our different clients and explain to them what we are doing on the blockchain banking practice. And I explain our partnerships and our uh, preferred platforms, of which obviously Corda was was the, was the first partnership that we uh, signed. Uh, I didn't know that either. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I am so unprepared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we, I didn't pay him to say this, everyone. You were the, the, the first partnership that we uh, signed. Uh, cool. And obviously from the very beginning, we saw uh, how greatly you understood both the technology side of things and the banking side of things, which I think it's key uh, to making a dent on the on this industry, we are approached now by many new platforms, many new companies that they see that they are doing great things on this space. And what we f- really find is that they either know a lot about tech, but not that much about banking, or the other way around. Mm-hmm. But especially what oh, most of them uh, lack is something that we can provide, which is the integration side of things. Uh, mm-hmm. I always say that if you want to make it in this in this business, you have to know a little bit about tech and a little bit about banking, and you uh, need to know how to integrate your product with your client's backend. Yeah. If you are missing uh, one of these three variables, then you have to look for help outside. And that's why I think that I, mean, I always say blockchain is not fun if you do it on your own. Yeah. You, you have to have friends to do it. Yeah. Call it friends, call it partners. But uh, I think that our relationship, Corda, R3 and Everest works very well because uh, you are great in banking and in technology and then we uh, know our clients uh, very yeah. well. We have gone through all the problems of implementing other different types of technologies. So when we go and take your product and go to a client to implement it, Mm-hmm. That's where uh, our synergies uh, really, really meet each other, and I think that we find uh, a lot of a lot of value. Yeah, definitely. And um, I kind of am almost a broken record on the podcast, but it it is kind of it's such a great partnership for uh, f- many reasons, but also with us starting kind of with the banks and kind of creating Corda from the ground up with the banks in mind must be an asset for you guys, especially in this space. Obviously. I mean, I I always say that uh, blockchain and DLT can be applied to almost any industry, but Mm -hmm. the most mature one and the one that I lead 
uh, is the, 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 the one for the banking space, although yeah. there is a counterpart in Everest that manages all the other uh, sectors like insurance, like telco, public mm-hmm. sector, industry. But yeah. um, as, as the, the banking industry usually is not regarded as a very innovative one, but they are the first ones to test uh, new things and to put uh, money into new technologies. Then there comes the regulator, obviously banking being the highest regulated industry out there, and mm-hmm. suddenly everyone kind of stops and, 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 and analyzes if they, they, they really want to go on uh, investing in a new type of technology that is uh, not very uh, well mastered by their teams still, but mm-hmm. they are the first ones uh, to give it a try. And we have seen it in in 2018, the last part of 2018, when a lot of where a lot of uh, pilots and POCs have moved, uh, have progressed into production environments. And yeah. I think that the momentum is is there. We yeah. are able to continue with that path through 2019. We might be hitting that that point of the curve where uh, more uh, companies and more banks start adapting this type of technologies. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think this is going to be um, a really, really important year. I just got distracted because it says 11-11 on the clock, and I look at 11-11 literally every day, and I'm, like, super scared and superstitious. That, 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 ha- that happens to me with 1337, 1337, Elite. Wait, really? That's <laughs> yeah. a random one. No, it isn't. I mean, it comes from the hacker space, 1337, what Elite. That? Wait, what does that mean? You'll have to to Google it. To look it up? (laughs) But do you know what 11.11 means for people? It's like, um, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I totally derailed this. And that was a really good answer. And I have a follow-up question. But I got so distracted. We're recording. I literally look at 11.11 every single day and 4.44 and 3.33. And maybe I'm just looking at my phone or the time too much. But it's freaky. And I think it means, I've heard different things, but I think it means something along the lines uh, well, there's always 11-11 Make-A-Wish. Do you know what that mm-hmm. is? No, you don't. So yep. it's if you see 11-11, you have to make a wish, uh-huh. and it'll come true or whatever. That's okay. like a kid thing. But the other, the other thing is that if you see all of these, like, 444, 333, uh-huh. 11-11, is that you're, like, sensitive to, like, after-death people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, I'm a no, no, I know, I know, I know. I, no, I know, I know where you're coming. I know where you're coming. happens to me. Yeah, <coughs> so I'm going to look up 13. Is 1337 just 1, like 3, that? 1337. Yeah, is it just like that? Yeah, that's Because it. it's the same concept? Yeah, Google 1337 and you'll okay. find information about it. Okay, well, um, I am so sorry for derailing. No, this is how fine. I live my life and this that's is how fine. I do my work. So no. um, this is why I'm all over the place and that's probably why I uh, have this podcast because whatever. <laughs> Anyways, so very important <laughs> <laughs> and I've derailed this, but you're kind of, so you were talking about how like these um, companies are going to start adopting this technology and that kind of ties into enterprise and why enterprise is important. Can you touch a little bit on that? I won't get distracted, I promise. Well, that's a broad question, Catherine, but but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to oversimplify it. That's okay. So, sometimes when people ask me, okay, so, so what's What's the purpose of blockchain and DLT for a bank, for example? Mm-hmm. And if I try to reduce it to the most simplistic view, uh, if with blockchain and DLT we are able to uh, 
uh, to 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 bring a common place, a single source of information where two or more participants can be sure that the data that they are looking at is the real thing mm -hmm. without having to rely on a third party or on a regulator to say, yeah, you are looking at the real thing. That that, that would be massive. And, and yeah. some people tell me, well, that's, that's very simple. I thought that banks would have already solved that issue. I mean, we, we on the on the consumer side, we have uh, Google Spreadsheets and Google Docs where you can create a, a single Excel file, invite many participants, and everyone mm -hmm. is looking at the same data. So mm -hmm. that thing that we have already mastered on the consumer side of things, on the bank side, is not that easy. Mm -hmm. And uh, still in 2000. 18 and 19, uh, there are fax machines in banks that are yeah. used every single day. A fax machine, if there is young people uh, listening to this podcast, this is a little machine, which is a great piece of technology. I mean, you put a paper with with, with <laughs> words on it and you I can't believe you're explaining what a fax yeah, machine is. I, I, I don't think I've ever used one. But, but You've never used one, really? A fax machine? No. Yeah. I mean, no. I've, I've had, like, how do you, well, I guess I don't really fax things. I scan things and send them to people. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe scanners are more important, but fax yeah. machines are ridiculous. Uh, fax yeah. machines. I, I don't. I don't think I've ever used. No, I'm pretty You've sure never, I've like, never like had to used. deal with the stress of not knowing if the fax would go through no. and the fax would go beep. Beep, beep. <laughs> no, really? no, no, I'm happy. I've never had to do that. No, I, th I don't think I've ever encountered a fax yeah. machine in my day-to-day -day work. I think it's, you know, what it's I've used it for, I think, like, doctor's things. Maybe it's more like. of an American thing. I mean, in Europe, mm, uh, I mean, Americans. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I've, I've never used it. Uh, yeah. So, anyways, banks so, should not be using fax so, machines. But the thing is that they are still using fax machines for things like FX trade matching or syndicate loan settlement, and those are specifically use cases that, for example, you call are tackling. Yeah. You saw a problem in the banking industry that can be easily solved if suddenly everyone is looking at the same data at all times. Yeah. And, and some people tell me, well, can you do that with traditional databases? Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's the classic counterpart of someone that doesn't believe in, in, in this type of technologies. And, and, and the, the reality is, no, you can't. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the systems of bank A would not necessarily be able to talk to the systems of bank B. And yeah. it's very difficult to overcome that issue. So if we yeah. can provide a shared ledger where uh, participants would write and read to, uh, that would be a, a massive, a massive advance uh, yeah. for how banks operate nowadays. Yeah, and you've touched on like just human error coming into into play. Yeah, but I mean, I mean <clears throat> blockchain will not change that. I mean, a blockchain is a, a crap in, crap out system. I will not use the other word, <laughs> but 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 it is. I mean, if you put crap into the blockchain, crap will come out of the blockchain. There's no magic behind yeah, yeah, blockchain. It's right. not like you will put data and something suddenly s in. There are some small dwarfs in the in the blockchain that will make everything <laughs> be perfect. So if you don't have proper controls and proper pro yeah. um, um, proper checks on the data that it's been input, uh, you will still have an issue. Which, yeah. if, if, if we go one step backwards, uh, that's one of the key issues, the key problems that banks are facing nowadays, which mm -hmm. is management of data. 
Yeah. Uh, we saw that in Europe by the introduction of open banking and PSD2, which forced uh, banks to open up to third parties by creating APIs. Uh, suddenly, APIs, I mean, we have already mastered APIs in the technology world. Uh, the first ones uh, either being built by eBay or Amazon in the 2000s. But yeah. in banks, still nowadays, is API, what? What's an API? So mm. in Europe, we were very lucky that the regulator was forcing banks to open at that way. Yeah. And, and and I remember when we started delivering these kind of projects in Everest, uh, we saw that the, the the challenge was not that much on the technology component, creating the first set of APIs themselves and how to manage them and how the proper the proper uh, teams uh, maintaining them, but the <laughs> issue was how to ingest, how well, f- first of all how to find the golden source of data that you would use to ingest data from and serve it to the outside world through the APIs. That was mm-hmm. the real issue, how to manage the vast amount of data that banks uh, are producing every single day. Yeah. And it's uh, scattered all over the place in a mixture of Excel f- files and, and different mm-hmm. databases and, 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 and notepad files. So so that's th- there's a, a two-sided issue here. First of all, how to manage all the data that you are creating and then how can you put it to work for a specific use case where you might need to interact with different participants and that's where the blockchain DLT component of it uh, comes into place. Yeah, definitely. So you have, uh, you're building, you've built a core app, correct? Yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, we have many uh, certified core developers. Oh, nice. Me, myself, one. You are? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I really need to be certified. Yeah. I just, yeah, who yeah. has the time? Yeah, no, yeah. I'm kidding. Everyone yeah. be certified. <laughs> I think we have around 20 certified uh, quarter developers at the moment. Yeah, really? Yeah. That's a good chunk. No, I, I always push for this uh, because well, one, yeah, thing is, one thing is to say that uh, y- you know how to do it and, and, and a very diffi- yeah. different thing is, is, is to have a paper or to have a, a certification that uh, someone uh, that says that someone has gone through a process of actually uh, verifying the knowledge in a specific uh, in a specific skill. So yeah. that's always very important, and we are always pushing our technology teams to get certified, not just in Corda, but any type of uh, technology that we are working with. Yeah, it makes sense. So we have been experimenting with Corda for a very long time, and around yeah, it was for CordaCon when you announced the uh, Corda Marketplace. Yeah, uh, we got uh, approved uh, with Everest Stamp Chain. Everest mm-hmm. Stamp Chain is a is a very nice and uh, a tool that we use to certify any type of legal document that your banks might send you. We are seeing an approach from banks, at least in Europe, where basically they are telling you do not trust any communication coming from your bank. That's the way for them to cover their backs. It's like Hmm. if you receive an SMS, if you receive an email, Mm -hmm. if someone calls you and asks for your mm, secret password or whatever, just just, uh, never share that and and, uh, hang hang the phone. So Mm -hmm. hang up. So we, we don't think that should be uh, how banks communicate with their clients nowadays. Yeah. Uh, by inducing fear and, and, and I think that basically transmit very badly for the customer, which it's kind of always on the look of who is going to hack them or yeah. try to uh, fish an attempt at them. So with every system chain, it's very easy for a customer to validate if any communication that they have received uh, is the real one that has been created by the bank itself or if mm-hmm. someone has tampered 
it uh, middle way. Yeah, that's super important because I totally can relate to that. I've recently especially been getting so many um, calls telling me that it's like my bank or it's someone trying to verify my social security number, and that's so dangerous. Well, you have a, a whole bigger problem here in the U.S., which is how you have to keep your social security number like super secret or your account number. We, we yeah. don't Again, we don't have that in Europe. Oh, you, you don't? Know, I, I can share my... We don't have like we do have a social security number, but basically it means nothing. I mean, I can share it with you or my ID or my bank account number. It's not, it's not that much that you can do with it. Interesting. So I I never yeah I remember asking a, a friend here in a colleague from Everest here working in Boston to do some we were trying some cross border payment in, implementation that we did for a bank and mm-hmm. I needed a U.S. account to do a. a, a test payment. Mm-hmm. So you asked for their social security I asked, number? I asked for his bank account number and he was like, well, Jorge, but you really need this. Well, yeah, I need to test the payment. <laughs> so yeah, either you give me your bank account number or how are we going to try this? So I, I didn't understand why he, he wouldn't give it to me. But he's like, well, Jorge, I mean, I'm giving it to you, but please, please make sure that you delete this information right after it's like, but, but, but what's the deal? What can, what can I do with your account number? I, I still don't really understand. I mean, it's like, I can, yeah. I just feel like it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in Europe, so right. I mean, we have short quotes and account numbers for banks, and, and you are always giving those. I mean, it's like, we are buying a farewell gift for a colleague that leaves the company. So these are my bank accounts and short Are you codes. sure? Well, of course. No, I mean, we do. that doesn't sound right. Go for, well, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, Europe listeners will tell you otherwise. I mean, it's the, I get one of those every single every single week. Okay. Someone leaving the company. We no. are going to buy them something. Just do a ten pound transfer to this account. Okay. <clears throat> okay. So. That's so bizarre to me. Um, but we also have, like, apps and stuff called Venmo. Do you know what Venmo is? I know Venmo. Yeah, know so, Venmo. but Venmo is, like, an easy workaround. You don't have to give away any information. You just have your phone number yeah. linked to your account. Yeah, but, it. I mean, we, we don't have a thing like Venmo There's in also Europe. Zelle, we have which is, like, Bank of America. No, think, we don't have that. I mean, we have Revolut and we have Monzo, which are attached to a debit oh, see, card. so you could use that stuff. Like, that, I feel like being like, hey, here's my bank account number but, but is super risky. But that's attached to a debit card. So you have to be a Revolut or a Monzo uh, customer mm. uh, to do that kind of stuff. I mean, if I understand correctly, Benmo works with any type of it's bank a, yeah, account. It's a, yeah, yeah. You can also have a credit card on a there, but then card. they charge a certain amount. So, account. yeah. So, it's very common for people to do transfers to bank accounts in Europe every single day wow. to split bills or to buy a joint gift for someone. Yeah, I think and I would do that with my family, but not with... No like, risk at all. No risk at all. I mean, so, that's similar with the social security number. Very interesting. And um, that's, that's not even blockchain or DLT, but it's... <laughs> yeah, <then> we are, <laughs> we are, we are, Do you see how sharing. I, like, talk no, myself no, into... I hope uh, uh, the listeners like this. Yeah, but I know. Yeah, there's a lot of... I mean, I think the, the important thing here is to understand uh, the different cultures in, in different countries and see where the banking industry is on each one. Uh, due to my, yeah. my, 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 my global role, uh, lately I'm, I'm traveling like crazy. I've just come back from Japan... India, Germany, obviously Spain, yeah. and and the most important thing is uh, to understand that different countries would have different levels of adoption to innovation and technology on mm-hmm. the banking industry. Yeah. For example, in South America, we are being very popular. We have many projects in Peru and in mm. Chile by implementing blockchain and DLT. 
Uh, cool. This banks in these regions they have a lot of cash to spend yeah. on innovation uh, but we have to be careful with uh, the use case that we uh, select for them mm-hmm. um, the other day in Mexico for example they were telling me Jorge I mean this cross-border payment solution that you are proposing for us uh, we are still uh, making most of our payments uh, using cash something mm-hmm. like 80%. It's like we don't still wow. have a huge adoption of credit cards or mobile or watch payments. Yeah. So we, we cannot go from, from cash to cross-border payments using a DLT solution yeah. right away. There's a process to that. So it, it always it always depends on where you are and how the banking industry is looking in that specific place yeah. uh, to understand what you can offer one bank or one client or the other. Yeah, you must learn so much from just traveling all over. There, there's a huge component when you are doing business globally, like we yeah. ever are doing in understanding your counterpart's culture. Uh, mm-hmm. Since Everest is a Japanese company now, since around four years ago, suddenly mm-hmm. we have opened up to this uh, culture that I didn't know anything about, which is the Japanese culture, which now I happen to love. But I remember at the very beginning, all the interactions that we had with our counterparts in Japan were very, were very, were were difficult because we didn't understand each other. I mean, obviously Japan and Spain, originally I'm from Spain, obviously, I'm not sure if we mentioned that, Mm -hmm. but I mean, my, I had to adapt my way of explaining things and and doing meetings with clients uh, and and not doing them in the Spanish way where there is a lot of uh, shouting gesturing and and yeah even shouting I mean it's yeah it's 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 crazy it's it's actually one of the first things that I had to learn how to adapt when I moved to London because uh, I mean no one in the UK would go to a meeting and raise their boys and if you raise your boys it's like suddenly your your point is weaker so interesting in Japan that's a whole uh, yeah it, I mean level. the Japanese culture is is so uh, yeah, yeah so yeah. different especially yeah. from American culture I mean Americans probably just like kind of at least similar in Spain yes I, say. No, yes, I mean course. I think people are yes, genu- similar. Genu- <laughs> generally uh, interested in like the way yes. that Americans do business other places. I, I, I always find U.S. people very similar to Dutch uh, people. Dutch people are probably mm. the most direct, straightforward people in Europe. It's like, no bullshit, let's go straight to business. I don't yeah. have any time to lose. If I'm yeah. explaining something that they don't care about, it's like, Jorge, go ahead, skip these slides. We already know this to a point yeah. where even to Spanish people like us, which we think that are direct people, sometimes it feels like a little bit rude. Oh, really? So I yeah. think of Americans just as like you enter <coughs> the room talking it like people. I feel like think Americans are just very what loud I'm, out there, yeah. confident. Like I feel like fr- French. Oh, my gosh. Now we're talking about um, yeah, all these different cultures. We're getting, people tra- we're getting in like, trouble here. Is, we're getting in trouble here. Yeah, we're getting in a lot of trouble. <laughs> but but I'm, I'm actually only ripping on my own culture. Um but, you know, they're more like out there. I will say about U.S. people, whenever I come here to New York and Manhattan for business, uh, people have a, a small spectrum of time that will uh, spend with you. It's like Yeah, everyone's very uh, busy, especially in New York. Because they want to be billionaires by 3 p.m. So it's, <laughs> Jorge, you either tell me something that will benefit my strategy to become a millionaire by 3 p.m. today, or if not... Or get out. Get out. 
I'm wasting I'm I'm wasting both of us time. That's definitely a New York thing. Which is which is which is we're gonna take it down. Which is to good. New York. But yeah. the thing is that uh, you have to understand how things are done in the U.S. or in Japan or in the Netherlands or in Spain yeah. to succeed on a global on a global way. That, that's a yeah. challenge. That's definitely applies to this. I know we keep going on little tangents, but it's fun. Um, that definitely applies to this technology specifically, especially when you're trying to get people to adopt a technology that they may have not even heard of and you're coming in from London or mm-hmm. uh, whatever, Spain, and you're telling them, like, this is what we're doing. We're this far ahead and they're still using cash. That's got to be difficult. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and one of the issues that we are finding is the problem around the standardization of data. Uh, oh, yeah. We are always thinking about how, for example, using uh, Fusion, Lendercom, using Corda from our partners as well, from Finastra. We have mm-hmm. a very good relationship with the guys from Finastra. Uh, you can solve the syndicate loan uh, use case uh, for banks and, and suddenly have a bank in Spain and a bank in, in Japan and a bank in 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 the U.S. Mm-hmm. adopting this same use case on a joint uh, on, a, on a single source of truth approach, but sometimes we 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 face the issue of standardizing data. Mm-hmm. Uh, we tend to think that uh, personal data, for example, uh, would be the same in Europe and in the U.S. Yeah, but. Uh, for example, in the UK, there are no IDs that uh, uniquely identified uh, a customer or an individual. Mm. So, and in Spain, for example, the ID would be every, would would uniquely identify me as an individual, as Jorge Lesmes, a set of eight numbers and a, and a letter. Mm-hmm. So, when you start looking at the world as just one place and not different regions or countries and you try to standardize data, something as simple as a postcode or how mm-hmm. a street is written on a, on, a, on a system or in a database can be uh, uh, an issue when yeah. you try to bring many uh, countries together or many banks together into a single use case. So a standardiz- management of data and standardization of, data, of that data uh, are one of the, the most important issues that we have to solve. And maybe by introducing blockchain and DLT, we will force uh, those issues to be overcome. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've talked a lot about um, just worldwide kind of probably what you face in this, and actually in general, um, but also <laughs> with this technology, which is kind of not... I mean, obviously, I know that there's different ways of doing things in each country. The social security number is interesting. But uh, I guess I don't really necessarily think too much outside of, like, New York, London, Brazil, Singapore, like places where we have offices. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's a very good point and something to think about. Hop, skip, and a jump. Hop, skip, and a jump. Uh, so, so sometimes we have to wonder that depending on the country, it's more important how you deliver your speech and your mannerisms yeah. in a in a in a in a meeting yeah. than the content itself. For example, in Japan, yeah. there, there's a whole ritual to how a meeting uh, takes place in Japan, starting from the moment that you cross uh, the door mm-hmm. and you have to decide where which side of the table you have to sit down. 
Yeah. Depending on if you are the client or if you are the provider, oh your seniority, so you will be in the middle, or mm-hmm. if you are very senior but you will not participate and you will go to the corner. So uh, I remember when we first started going to to Japan on business trips and meet all these Japanese mega banks. Uh, uh, we have we were very lucky that we had a, a, a colleague from Japan with us telling yeah, us what to do. You kind of need that or else you could yeah. totally sabotage yes, the meeting. Yes, completely. Completely. Yeah. Because for Japanese people, I mean, you might have a great story, you might have a great product, but if you are not able to at least make an effort to behave in the way that they behave on a, on a social yeah. or on a business-like way, uh, they might rule you out uh, straight away. So mm. we are, I mean, obviously with our helps from with the help from our guys from from Entity Data, we are getting a lot of help on that, and we are getting better and better. And and even we are learning mm-hmm. a little bit of Japanese as well. So that's great. Yeah. you have learned some Japanese. Yeah, you know, just the very basic. I mean, how to start a meeting, how to do introductions. Cool. Uh, yeah, the whole introduction of business uh, exchange of business cards, which is very important as well. Yeah, yeah. The problem is that I threw in my two or three things that I know, and suddenly the the other guy will start talking in Japanese and. It's very oh, shamefully. No. I have to say, no, well, that that was all. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. I feel so yeah. bad. You know that happens <coughs> to me. So so, and we can wrap wrap this up, and this can be how we end the episode, just a little more banter. But um, one of the things that happens to me with so Spanish, I know I've said like I can totally understand Spanish. I don't love speaking it, but I will if I have mm-hmm. to. But one interesting thing is with French. I guess I have an okay French accent. Mm-hmm. And I know the basics, like very, very basic. Mm-hmm. But that's one of those things where I'll like enter a store and I, I try and like go with the culture and I'll say like bonjour. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden the person's talking to me in French and I'm like, like oh, whoop, whoop, I'm whoop. so sorry. sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, that's a shame. That's a shame. I know. <laughs> yeah. it's so it's very embarrassing. Because I'm like, well, thank you. That means I sounded good. But uh, that's not. I mean, it shows that you're making the effort. I mean, the next step is you to to sign up for some classes. I'll, I'll, I always keep saying it. That I'll sign up for Japanese classes at some point, but it's so difficult, so different. Yeah, I don't that's know if different. I ever get it. How many languages can you speak like fully fluently? No, English and, English and Spanish. Well, you do a great job with English. You can talk a lot faster than I would be doing yeah. in Spanish. In Spanish, I would just be slower because I'm also self-conscious and I feel like I would mess up all the tenses, and then it'd be like. A total disaster, and I'm, I'm, sure, like I'm, an I'm sure you're great. I'm sure you're great. Yeah, well, don't be too sure. <laughs> okay, thank you so much for coming on today. This is fun. Thank you very much, Catherine. Always a pleasure. Oh yeah, I will link to your bio and stuff, and everyone who's interested in reaching out to Everest and Jorge Lesmes, then you'll have the information. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect, Catherine. That was so bad. Don't even. No, it was. It was. <laughs> thank you. Bye. Thank you. Gracias por escuchar este episodio de Life in the Fast Chain. <laughs> Hope I did all right there, Jorge. Keep an eye slash ear out for the next episode coming soon. Like, share, subscribe, rate. Gracias. Hasta luego.